WRF Wonderful Radio Flanagan Go to wrf-podcast.blogspot.com Listen, comment and enjoy. And now, on with the show. So how did I end up in Peru in 2001? That's the question you're asking. Well, it all started off in Nottingham. <laughs> uh, Nottingham is a town in the centre of England. And what happened was I had a meeting with the company that I work for, Dixon's, in Nottingham. So I went to Nottingham, parked the car, got out, and there was two Dixon stores uh, in Nottingham at that time, and I didn't know which one the meeting was at. I should have done. I was usually more organised than that. So I walked outside of the car park, and there was a man selling the Big Issue magazine. And the Big Issue magazine is uh, a magazine that uh, homeless people sell in order to support themselves. It's produced by a, a company called The Big Issue, and they have it in different parts of the country and uh, in Scotland and Wales as well. So I bought The Big Issue. The deal was that he would tell me where the Dixon stores were if I bought The Big Issue. So I don't know what business he's running now, but uh, I think it, I think he should have actually been running a business because he was, he was quite a shrewd little, um, little deal maker. Excuse me, orange juice time. So I bought the magazine, and normally, you know, you, you you buy these magazines or you pick up a free magazine, and you don't really do anything with it, do you? So after the meeting, um, I was stuck in traffic driving home, so I thought I'll have a quick flick through the magazine. And I got to the back. See, this is the page, the page I'm holding here. And in the back, uh, there was an advert for a charity organisation called Scope. And Scope, it used to be called the um, the Spastic Society. But Scope is a charity for uh, people who are suffering from cerebral palsy, and it's also to help the people who are helping people with cerebral palsy as well. And the advert said, Take the Inca Trail and discover ancient Peru. 11-day hiking event, September 2001. Journey to the land of the Incas. Visit the lost city of Machu Picchu. Only £199 plus minimum sponsorship. Flights, food and accommodation included. Call now. And there was a telephone number. So, do you know what? <laughs> when I went home, I called the number. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, uh, they sent me out a, a little package of things. And what it was all about was uh, you... There was like this administration fee of £200, and then you had to uh, raise uh, £2,500, um, which was kind of like the minimum amount, um, to help, uh, you know, towards the charity and to help towards some of the costs as well. I think that the bulk of the money actually went to the charity, but some of the money uh, covered the costs of um, uh, flights and accommodation because uh, we uh, flew from uh, London to Madrid and then Madrid to. Lima and then uh, Lima to Cusco and then bus from Cusco <laughs> basically bus from Cusco to the mountains and then off you went from there uh, but there was, a whole, there was a whole range of things that had, had to happen in between um, you know, uh, so, so basically I think when was the date of that letter? Do you know, I can't remember uh, there was a meeting in June 2001 but I know I got all this stuff I think about in February 2001 and so you had to raise money. So now there's various ways that you can raise money. You can uh, ask people for it, and they might give you it. Um, you know, if you're part of some sort of big corporate organisation, you could probably get just one big lump sum of two and a half thousand pounds, and that'd be you done. 
but I decided to take the uh, the typical charity route. So I have here in in my other hand. I don't know if you can tell the difference between paper on that side and paper on that side, but it's over here now. Um, and what it is, it's my list of sponsors. So when I look down, it's I, I must have uh, gone around all the stores where I was working at the time uh, for Dixon's and just asked people for money, which is like what you do. And uh, some stores had raised a collection, and then I have little subtotals where I've gone off and uh, banked the money. So I think um, I banked about, I think I made maybe about 400, 500 pounds uh, just from uh, the company that I work for going around the various places. But then, of course, the, the, the best thing to do is to think to yourself, well, where do all these people, you know, where, where, is there, where are there large amounts of people? So, um, you know, football matches, uh -huh. um, but mainly around um, railway stations and also big supermarkets. So I made a list of all the, uh, the mainline railway stations in London. And it was, I, was, I was so well organised and it was like, um, well, I was going to say it was like a big charity event. and I, well, well, it was really, wasn't it? So I had to contact, the, they had, um, you know, station managers. So I had to contact uh, station managers and arrange um, either your telephone call or email or, or personally go and see them. I tell them what I was going to do. So I was going to be standing there in a in a charity T-shirt with um, a silly hat on. I got one of these silly Peruvian hats, you know, with like the, all the tassels and the multicolours and everything. And um, and a tin. And so I, I would just be, you know, what you call a tin rattler. Uh, and there's certain things that you can't do uh, when you're collecting money is you can't uh, stand in people's way. So you can't um, be on a main thoroughfare where people are walking through, or at least you can't be blocking their way through. And, and you can't thrust the tin at people. You can't, you know, proactively, uh, you know, say, give me money kind of thing. So you have to be very subtle. So hence the big coloured hat and dancing around because <laughs> I did a bit of that as well um, and so I'd arranged I, I went through let's think uh, Euston Station was actually quite a quite a busy one I think I did that on a Saturday one time um, and I, I made about £125 at Euston Station and so the bank there was a bank around the corner that was open on a Saturday and so I went and banked that straight away because I thought well I'm not carrying £125 home dressed like this <laughs> you know with a collection tin because uh, I might as well just have removed scope off the t-shirt and just have mug me written on it I think I did the same at Charing Cross as well Charing Cross was like £115 but the most the people I gave the most were the glorious people of um, of Tesco at Lakeside in Essex uh, and that was a bank holiday weekend I'm looking at the dates now I think on the Friday I made uh, £260 and on the following Monday, it was only sixty-eight pounds. Um, and I think Safeways, Safeways, God rest their soul. I think they got bought out by Sainsbury's, didn't they? Made one hundred and sixty-eight pounds. So there was a lot of um, money. There was a lot of money collecting, a lot of tin rattling, and uh, I learned a lot about the psychology of um, people and crowds because it, it's an unusual thing. I mean, it's not a normal thing for uh, anybody uh, including me <laughs> uh, to be standing uh, in front of a in front of a crowd of people um wanting to collect money from them and i remember victoria station was 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 the worst for this um you know because um in victoria station in london uh, there's there's the platforms are split in like there's two big buildings i think platform 1 to 8 and 8 to 23 or something like that um and that was kind of like sort of stand in the middle and, and get people but it's 
it's really um it really does drain you uh, just seeing waves and waves of people uh, walking towards you and because you're dressed funny and because you're dancing around and because you got in people look at you as well so you also try to get eye contact with people and it's it's like it's like a war it's 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 a gay i don't know it's like a game it's like a war but in the end it, it really wears you down <laughs> just looking at people you know and you're kind of like going yeah do you want to give money do you want to give you know and um you know people give money and people ask questions and uh you know you always have to be uh, clued up on the charity uh you know to ensure that um you weren't just some idiot in a t-shirt and a hat that you were actually, you know, doing something proper for a charity. Um, of course, all the administration with the station managers and everything, you know, I got cleared up beforehand. So, uh, Victoria Station, so I'm standing there and it's just like swarms of people and it's like, it was like wave after, it was like tsunamis, of, before I even knew what a tsunami was, uh, tsunamis of people, like, coming towards you all the time. Um, and I had to take breaks every now and again because it, it was just too much. It was like, it was quite overwhelming. Uh, Euston Station, uh, the concourse at Euston Station is very tight if anybody knows Euston Station. So so the gap between the uh, where you come off the trains and where you go down the underground and leave the building is quite small. So that was actually quite manic. So I, 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 in the end, I didn't sort of stand in that bit. I stood outside the doors just to catch the people coming out because uh, it was just too, um, yeah, it was just too overwhelming. And uh, and it's hungry work as well. <laughs> I must have spent a ton of money just on food. Uh, initially, I used to take like uh, you know a little rucksack and 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 food as well. But uh, then in the end, you know, because I was just me on the concourse by myself, you know, like the station manager and people like that, they wouldn't let you leave your your bags or stuff with them. You had to keep everything with you. So in the end, I just thought well, I'll just tip my wallet and just buy you know junk food uh, as and when. So. Um, that was uh, that was part of my keeping fit and, and getting in training was standing around at railway stations dancing around looking like a fool and collecting money of people but of course you have to go and do like proper training which involved keeping yourself hydrated so i'm just going to do that Hang on. orange juice the best so proper training and now i think at that time at uh, 2001 had I joined the gym? I don't think I joined the gym here yet, so I was kind of like self-training myself, not being, um, uh, you know, an athlete. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that now. <laughs> uh, not being an athlete, um, training was uh, was an alien thing. It was not a normal thing to do. So I had to start off. So I just started off walking and things like that. Um, and then, because of the uh, the recommendations of the people who were organising uh, the uh, the hike, they recommended that you get hiking boots and thick socks and all this stuff, and, and um, hiking sticks or stick as well to help you up, you know, rugged parts of uh, of the Andes. And the thing is, is that you think about this now. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a trek to you know Machu Picchu up the Andes mountains, not a problem. And because it's like thousands of miles away and months away, you don't really think like uh, of it really too much you because you're in the process of collecting money and things like that so you know the 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 overwhelming idea of of trekking up some of the highest mountains in the world in in one of these magnificent places doesn't really click in until much later on you know so uh in order to get any kind of sort of walking practice or, or, of a rugged variety I went down to the um, the South Downs, which is an area uh, north of Brighton. It's kind of like a hilly hilly area north of Brighton in England. 
not really um you know <laughs> you know Andes mountains type thing but it was the nearest place where i could dress up properly you know in in boots and socks and uh, and and hiking stick and look not too out of place because you know those those other people did that as well and it was a good idea to you know get out and get lots of um, you know fresh air and oxygen in my lungs so that was the um uh so that was my training so down the south downs did a lot of that did a lot of walking around and and just try to generally get fit um there's no kind of guidelines on how fit you could be or should be and uh, it was interesting when i got there um <laughs> just actually looking at the status of the people who were actually turning up for this gig <laughs> and i just thought oh god I'm not, i don't feel too bad now <laughs> So it was months. So so literally between um, sort of February, uh, June was it? Yeah, I think I had to have everything in the bag by uh, the sixth of June, which I had done. Um, in the end, with a, with a, with a little help, I managed to get um, the two and a half thousand pounds, and so that's it. So I was signed up. So we went along uh, to a meeting in uh, in London at Scope, the charity, and then you uh, were given a list of every other you know people uh who were doing i think there was about 80 83 people were going on this thing altogether and you're given details about it all and, and also a list of what everybody else who was going so in case there was somebody uh, living near, near you that you wanted to contact and sort of buddy up with and that kind of thing uh but there wasn't anybody living near me there was you know because the job that i did i was traveling around all the time so even when i was at home i wasn't really you know it wasn't convenient to go and see people so so i didn't really meet up with anybody uh from that meeting until we actually were at the airport <laughs> at the airport I, i'm fantastic at leading to things here so so at the airport so getting to the airport so it was wednesday the 5th of september 2001 and we were leaving on Iberian flight number IB3161 going from uh, London Heathrow London Heathrow uh, to Madrid okay and that flight was at 7.30 in the morning and we were told to be at London Heathrow at um, two hours beforehand so so be it be it London Heathrow at 5.30 in the morning so um, at that time I was talking to my, my soon wife-to-be um, on the uh, on the um, on the phone uh, she was in New Jersey and I was talking to her on the phone driving around uh, in the car and uh, early in the morning so I'm driving around in the car early in the morning this is Wednesday the 5th of September on my way to London Heathrow <laughs> and um, so I'm driving on I'm talking away and uh, I pull into the airport and I pull into the uh, the South Terminal car park and I pull all the way into the South Terminal car park and park and, and then I'm looking at the details and, and the flight tickets and everything and it's saying um, we're going to be leaving from uh, you know Terminal 2 and then it suddenly struck me like a mahoosive lightning bolt London Heathrow doesn't have a South Terminal car park. <laughs> I'd actually driven to London Gatwick Airport. <laughs> and I'd, I'd actually parked in the South Terminal car park at Gatwick. <laughs> so you don't know, I don't know if anybody's ever done that, actually driven to the wrong airport and parked there. But you have no idea what that feeling is like. <laughs> 
if you haven't done it it's it's like uh, I don't know it's like somebody putting in a pair of huge sort of calipers into your chest opening it up thump, thump, thumping all your insides and then closing it back up again and then smacking you across the face with a wet fish it was it was just everything it was all at once it was like ah it was like oh my god oh my god <laughs> So I, I, I basically zoom now. This is this is very early in the morning. Bearing in mind, I must have got into Gatwick Airport for something like um, at five o'clock in the morning on on a Saturday morning. So there was not a lot of traffic. And if anybody knows London, uh, Gatwick Airport is down a motorway called the M23, and you have to go up a few miles to join the M25 which is the orbital motorway around London. Then you have to go all the way around a quarter of the orbital motorway to your left, <laughs> as it were, and then you'll get to Heathrow Airport. So I'm terracing my car uh, out of um, Gatwick, uh, back up the M23, around the M25, <laughs> and I think I got to Heathrow, I can't remember. It definitely was, I think I got there an, an hour before. I think it took me about 45 minutes to an hour, perhaps a little bit quicker, because I, I was actually speeding like a madman. And when I got there, um, everybody else was there. Uh, you know, all, everybody had arrived. Everybody was two hours beforehand, and uh, I was uh, I, I was the last person turning up to the party, as it were. And so it was very quick in you know getting everything uh, you know booked in, checked in, and um, getting myself sorted out, ready for the flight ahead, uh, which was of course uh, London Heathrow uh, to Madrid, which was about two hours, and then we had a bit of a changeover. I think we had about an hour's wait. And then uh, the flight was from uh, Madrid to Lima, which was approximately seven hours. Now, a couple of things I remember about the um, uh, the Iberia Airlines flight is the blankets, of which I still have one. <laughs> the Iberia flight blankets were really nice. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, they were like really thin woolleny things, and they were just like fantastic. And I just thought, I'm having that. So, so I've got that one here. Um, but the the flight to um, the flight to Lima was just uh, enormous. Um, I, I can't. I, the The biggest thing that I remember about it was actually uh, when we were flying over um, the Amazon, because we must have flown over the Amazon at some point. Because I remember looking out the window and going, "Fuck me! Look at all those trees!" And just look. And then you go away and you sit down, you watch a movie, you come back and look at all those trees and it was still you were still flying over the jungle the jungle was massive I mean you know I've never seen so much jungle uh, probably at one time the whole of the United Kingdom and Europe was covered in that kind of jungle but you just don't see it normally and, and there was people looking out the windows as well because you know us Europeans who had never left our little islands or whatever we just never seen so many frigging trees it was like it was huge uh, that, that's about the most memorable thing that I remember about um, <laughs> that I remember about the flight uh, other than it was very tiring and then finally um, we ended up in Lima now we did get a, get a connecting flight from uh, Lima to Cusco, but I'll be honest, I can't remember that. It must have been on Joe Soap's Canoe Airlines or something. I don't, I don't really remember it. Anyway, so um, that's the first part of this little journey. That takes us from um, where I was in uh, southeast England. Uh, all the training, um, all the training, uh, all the collecting, all the organisation, um, and finally, when we get to South America and we get onto the journey, that will be in uh, oh part two because if you hadn't noticed this was actually part one a 
Okay, so let's get to it then. I've held you in suspense for long enough and nobody likes to be held in suspense. So here we are. This is part two. I think there's probably going to be a part three actually as well, but I'll, I'll let you know when I've finished waffling basically. Um, so yeah, South America. <laughs> I just want to correct something that I said at the end of, um, uh, towards the end of part one there. I, I could have, uh, you know, put the MP3 file into Audacity and, you know, edited it out, but do you know what? I just couldn't be asked. I just thought I'd correct myself. I think somewhere at the, just towards the end, I said that uh, it was only a seven hour flight from um, Madrid to Lima. Well, of course, as we all know, seven hours would have dropped me off in the middle of the jungle somewhere. <laughs> it was actually about 11 hours, wasn't it? <laughs> of course it was, silly arse. So it was an 11 hour flight uh, of which I um, slept some of it and uh, looked over the Amazon jungle and slept some more of it. And uh, then we arrived in Lima. Uh, Lima was um, was a bit of a strange place, uh, I've got to say. Um, it was not having seen, not, I didn't do any kind of like research on, on, in fact, I didn't do any research at all, really. <laughs> I didn't do any research on Lima, so I had no idea what to expect. So, but, you know, you think that you're arriving at an international airport in a, you know, in the capital city of a country somewhere. And, um, you know, generally the, the airports are kind of, uh, outside of the cities obviously except Belfast have you been to Belfast City Airport doesn't matter doesn't matter London City Airport okay okay there are airports inside cities but usually the big international airports are on the outskirts of the city and then you would get a bus into town and then the town would grow bigger and bigger and then there'd be buildings and psh. Uh, except right all the way around um Lima all the way around the airport and in fact for most of Lima it's it's just basically two-story buildings and it looks like a bit of a shanty town, I've got to say. Uh, apologies to anybody who's actually been around Lima and loads a lot more of it than I do, but um, I just got the impression it was a bit of a shanty town. Um, and w what I was told was that uh, a lot of it had to do with um, buildings not being uh, up to uh, earthquake standard and the fact that they did have earthquakes around there, I was told, which doesn't bode well when you're flying in and out on a plane, of course. But um, yeah, that's why there was a lot of uh, low... Uh, story buildings um, it, but you, you can have low story buildings that look alright and you can have low story buildings that look rough these just like look rough for like blocks and blocks and blocks um, there was only I think one part of the uh, of Lima that I remember that um, didn't look like it had uh, just been bombed and that was uh, down on the coast there was like a big shopping centre there was uh, office blocks apartment blocks and it was guarded by security teams and there was uh, you know a police presence there as well and that was probably the only safest place to to walk around uh, you know as a tourist if you got off off of the beaten track somewhere you probably would have got beaten on the beaten track um but i'm sure it's a very nice place and it's got lots of culture and things like that i just uh i just never found out about it really <laughs> i think he, he did we spend any time in lima um no, I think I think we just kind of uh, I think we spent some time there on the way back actually. Uh, but uh, going through, I think it literally was uh, a place that we arrived at and then transferred uh, again. I think I'm sure that we transferred by plane to to Cusco, but uh, I'll be damned if I can remember it. Um, I seem to. It might be in bus. Do you know, I, I can't remember. So, somebody somebody probably knows somewhere, but anyway. So we got to Cusco, and Cusco is uh, a major town. Um, it's probably the last major town um, before you uh, set off towards um, 
whatever part of the hike that you're on. Now, it's interesting that uh, I only found, because uh, talking to Pete, uh, are you listening to this, Pete? So talking to Pete, because I didn't know about um, the fact that there's so many of uh, sort of adventure holidays and different treks and different ways and different walks to, to get up to Machu Picchu. Um, you know, you, you can start off at different places and at different altitudes. So the uh, the scope, the charity scope, had um, worked with um, uh, uh, an adventure organisation whose name escapes me now. Wait a minute, I've got his name here. Worldwide Journey Leaders or World Worldwide Journeys? Yeah, Worldwide Journeys. We had a, we had a guy called James Gray. James was uh, a really funny bloke. <laughs> But yeah, so it was uh, Worldwide Journeys. Um, that was the um, sort of the, the, the major organisation that we were working with. Sorry, there's bits of paper flying around here. I'm just I'm, I'm having a look at the map. I'm just trying to see um, how the map works. So yeah, so Cusco was uh, 3,360 metres. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't do metres. So 3,000... 360 so that's roughly uh, what's a meter a meter is about a yard isn't it that's three feet so if it times that by three so that's 10,000 feet so that's 10,000 feet above sea level that's 10,000 feet more than I'm usually at <laughs> so this is why uh, we stayed there for a couple of days in Cusco uh, and the idea was that we uh, get acclimatized to the altitude because afterwards um, I think we finally got up to I think I think we finally got up to about sixteen thousand feet. Uh, I know that the uh, the An Ancascocha Pass. Ha ha ha! Do you like my pronunciation there? A N C A S C O C H A. The Ancascocha Pass was four thousand six hundred meters, which I think is about thirteen thousand feet. Um, but uh, at the, the last point that we actually stopped, or or the, or the highest point, we actually stopped and. Um, took photographs on and uh, believe me it was snowy and cold up there and we were all wrapped up in thermals so you know um, I'll get onto hints and tips and traveling clothes uh, later on but uh, uh, take if you're doing if you're doing basically if you're doing the high altitude path then you know take a pack for all weathers um, we did uh, we were up there um, it was five days four nights and started off you know on on, on the lowlands and then going up uh, gradually going up higher and higher so you you, you started off in uh, like t-shirts and shorts and things and it was all jolly hockey sticks and then it got higher and higher and uh, that's when you started to wear more clothes because it was cold and uh, eventually you get up to as we did i think about sixteen thousand feet and uh it was freezing <laughs> I'm not going to lie, you might have been hot and sweaty while you were doing the, the yomping up the hillside and everything, but, you know, when you got to the top and you were still all wrapped up in everything and you stood still and the wind and the, and the wind blew through you, you knew it was cold. I mean, you know, let's, let, let's not mess about. And and for all those people who, you know, they marched up there in the, in the um, you know, in the T-shirts and, and, and everything while everybody else was wrapped up, you were just mad. <laughs> Apologies to anybody who did that. I've, I've, I've watched... Um, I sat down uh, last week and I watched the video that day. Now, there was a guy called Ben. I can't remember his second name, actually. Uh, a guy called Ben who uh, came along uh, with uh, Scope, with the charity, uh, on, the, on the hike. And he filmed um, the, the whole of the hike. And it was a brilliant, absolutely brilliant video because he had to, uh, at, at some points, get way ahead of us 
so that he could see us all, you know, coming up a mountain, or he would stay way behind us uh, to see us all walking up a mountain, and then he would have to catch up with us. <laughs> and he was in in around the campsite. Um, it was just uh, honestly, his filming was great, and then they they edited edited it together. And uh, at the time, back in uh, two thousand and one, um, you had the option of buying it as a DVD or buying it as a as a video. Now, uh, you know, in 2001, I, I, I couldn't spell DVD, so I you know, didn't have a DVD player. What the hell was that? Uh, that was for all these posh boys from posh schools. So so, so I bought a video. Uh, it was VHS. It wasn't Betamax. So I, so I watched it the other day. And uh, some of the, uh, if you've been uh, following me on um, uh, Instagram and Facebook, you'll have seen I've included some of the uh, little snippets of the video uh, on the little kind of a pre pre-advertising as it were uh, for this podcast and in fact in in this podcast right now I've uh, stripped out some of the audio from the video so you'll be hearing you'll be hearing my voice from 2001 how spooky is that <laughs> so where were we um I tell you where we were we were about to have a drink of orange juice weren't we oh, it's thirsty work isn't it do you remember back in January I think when I couldn't talk and most of other people couldn't talk because we all had colds and flus and things. Damn, that was terrible. So we're in Cusco and we we're, and we were put there for two days uh, to uh, basically to get used to altitude sickness. If you did get altitude sickness, um, which I did. Now, uh, there's, I've listened to um, Elena's um, podcast uh, about altitude sickness and uh, I've listened to uh, other people's you know, and, and I'd read about it as well. And the funny thing is, is that you read about it, and everybody has um, ma- ma- the main. The main thing is headache. Well, it wasn't, uh, and and the main thing actually I did have was headache. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to like was headache. Splitting, splitting headache, like somebody had uh, put an axe in my head, and then was walking in front of me all the time while I was walking, and just waggling the axe. <laughs> you know, just like absolutely splitting your head, and it was it was monumental pain. But the worst thing was, is that, uh, you know, I mean, that was bad. I'm not saying that was bad. But the worst thing was my arms and legs felt like lead. And and it was, everything was like really heavy. My arms and legs were heavy. And it was like walking through um, semolina or sago or rice pudding. And and so I, I must have looked really strange walking across some of these squares in, in Cusco. Because it was like, oh, oh. Help me! It was like uh, it was like a zombie apocalypse before there were zombie apocalypse, and I was like walking, and it was awful. So I had a massive headache. So I must have had like a, a horrible frown on my face. Um, so it probably looked like a lot of the locals. Though I had a horrible frown on my face, and and I was like, oh, and it was so slow, and, and everything felt so heavy, and I just felt awful, and I didn't feel um, uh, nauseous or or you know in any particular way. Um, it was more that um, I was just tired. So. You ended up being uh, tired and splitting headache and arms and legs that felt like lead, which is like a weird sensation. So um, in the end, uh, what I decided to do was uh, go for a lie down because, you know, to be honest, there was nothing else to do. So the altitude sickness was 
um, I, I suffered from it in Cusco badly. It was, uh, it, you know, there's nothing you could do. There's no, you know, they gave you tablets and stuff, um, uh, general sort of headache tablets and things to try to, uh, you know, alleviate your discomfort. But basically, y you had it. What could you do? Um, and and so I was there for two days. It wasn't a pleasant two days, I've got to say. Uh, most people didn't have altitude sickness, and they were quite happy. They were off doing little tours because I think a lot of people had done tons of research and thought to themselves right okay I'll use every hour of every minute of every day and I'll be going out and about as well as um, all the other stuff uh, there was like helicopter rides you can go off to you know see bits of the mountains on helicopters and fuck knows what else but um, you know I, I, I was just that uh, poorly sick in bed and I was thinking to myself this is bollocks uh, you know I spent all this time <laughs> you know collecting money for charity uh, you know flying all this way going to the wrong airport you know flying all this way um, getting all the way to Cusco and then just being completely flawed by something some sort of weird alien you know disease uh, but um <laughs> uh, towards the end of the second day um, I did actually uh, get out and about a bit and it's funny the people you meet um, now we must talk about coca leaves at some point so I'll talk about them now <laughs> then I'll talk about them later on and later on so coca leaves now um, you can look this up yourself I'll, I'll, I'll let you google it afterwards but um, they, they have a certain uh, use shall we say, for um, increasing your stamina, um, making you feel everything is reasonably okay in life. <laughs> and they used to sell, you, honestly, the people used to sell it uh, on the side of the street. They used to sell little bags of coca leaves and you, and you would chew the coca leaves. Now, by themselves, um, chewing the coca leaves isn't a very nice experience. And um, what they were also used to sell with them was like these little... Uh, black cubes it was like bicarbonate of soda or something and, and you chewed it along with the leaves to um, uh, basically create a chemical reaction uh, in, in your mouth to um, get the chemicals out of the leaves <laughs> I'm sure there's people who know exactly what I'm talking about here uh, and know exactly you know how the, how the chemical composition works and what's it all about but basically um, coca leaves um, help you walk around the hillsides and I'll get back to that later on. And also coca tea. Coca tea. Do you remember coca tea? Do you remember those who have been on this route, who have been up the uh, Andes Mountains? Coca tea. And for those of you who haven't gone yet, I'll just say it again. Coca tea. <laughs> you know, honestly, it takes you fucking months to uh, get over the withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> But it, but it is lovely stuff. Um, the hotel in Cusco, actually, I was I was teamed up with them um, uh, when they when they everybody sent their information in about themselves. Uh, you get sort of uh, teamed up with people, and I was teamed up with uh, a chap called Rob Warrior, and uh, and Rob was, Rob was a nice bloke. He didn't deserve me <laughs> to be honest. Uh, Rob was a nice bloke, and uh, and we got on well. It's interesting that we we didn't actually walk uh, with each other on the hike much. Um, we kind of like made individual friends, so we'd only end up uh, meeting up at um, camp on an evening, um, and uh, and first of all, uh, the first time that we uh, sort of like were put together was um, in the hotel in Cusco. Can't remember the name of the hotel. Um, it was one of the uh, the posher ones, 
it was on the edge of a square it was big it had a big massive uh, glass doors entrance to it and what have you and a, and a huge big I remember the dining room huge massive dining room and it's like stone and wood and carvings and things you, you know what it is if you've been there but there was some weird weird things about it one was there wasn't usually generally a lot of hot water um, which is kind of like typical for a lot of hotels around the world um, there was there's something about the uh, the telephone system in the hotel uh, the telephone system in the hotel was unique in as much as I think it was sponsored by a radio station because you'd pick up the receiver uh, to make a telephone call and then you get uh, a jingle or an advert first and you think, what's that about? And sometimes your telephone call would be interrupted by that. But the worst thing was, uh, was the actual bloody telephone operators in the hotel listening in on your telephone calls. <laughs> because you could hear them, you could, you know, like um, in in those really bad movies where you could hear the click as, so, as somebody picked up or put down a phone, and it was just like that. It was like you you could imagine the the operator shoving in the the big brass plug into your into the into the hole for your room, and then putting his headset on and then having a quick listen. Um, but yeah, that that was a that was a hotel. The room was all right actually. Let's be honest, we just been on like you know eleven hours, twelve, you know, whatever, fourteen hour. Uh, trip there so basically anything with a mattress was was good uh, and the food was good there as I remember as well so two days in Cusco um, yeah uh, when, I, when I eventually was uh, managed to bring myself back around to life after you know, sort of two days of having altitude sickness um, I, I needed to make some uh, some emails and some um, whatever whatever I did on the internet at that point was it Yahoo Fuck knows, um, but so I found this internet cafe. It was above a bar, just off the, near the hotel, off the edge of one of these squares. A bar downstairs, uh, internet cafe upstairs, um, and, and this is one of my tips for the top: uh, learn your Spanish keyboard. <laughs> That's all I can say. Because I went up there and I sat down, and uh, you know I thought oh, I'll log in first. <laughs> no, I won't, <laughs> because uh, you know the certain you know foreign keyboards, Spanish keyboards, um things are misplaced and, and there's things in different places and I think the biggest one was the at symbol I think the at symbol was above the two something I think on a, on a, on a, on a UK keyboard it's, it's off to the right hand side above the little apostrophe and that, that was one of the first things and, and then there was other things as well like where the um, different um, punctuation marks were and of course that made a difference to how your login went and I think I think I spent the first sort of a half an hour or so on this um, internet keyboard uh, trying to log in to various things because you know I'd planned it in advance I had my uh, my little my little uh, cheat sheet with all my logins and everything but of course it's no good if you can't actually use the keyboard so uh, and and it didn't help because uh, I still had a headache from all the um the altitude sickness and I was getting very frustrated and I was using anglo-saxon words shall we say which uh I don't think I'd heard some of it before but still a very nice a very nice internet cafe got things going there I think I took one or two pictures, or at least uh, some people took one or two pictures of me um, while I was in Cusco. <laughs> There's one of them, and I do have that stance. I'm standing there <laughs> looking like my arms and legs are made of lead with this miserable fucking look on my face. I just thought to myself, "There's a fucking big cathedral or church behind me. I'm getting this picture <laughs> no matter what it costs." And uh, I think I must have asked some, you know, Joe, to, "Can you take this photograph?" And uh, oh, thanks very much for it, and give him a peso or something, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so two days in Cusco, and then we were off, and off we went, and we went. He said, referring to his bit of paper, by bus, to um, a place called 
Papi Chu Bridge, which was uh, 3,200 kilometres high. What was that? 3,200, because that's slightly lower than Cusco. Uh, this is interesting, this, because um, times three, uh, 9,960 feet, so it's lower than Cusco. And that bears out what happened to me, actually, because once we left Cusco and got on the bus on the third day and we started tootling towards this Papi Chu Bridge, uh, I was fine. I'd lost all the the altitude sickness. It, it kind of like drained away almost with every with every foot we were dropping. I was losing the altitude sickness. It was weird, and so we got to this. Um, uh, we got to the bus. Uh, you know, got to this place, and it was literally on the side of a road. We we, we the, the bus has kind of pulled into the layby on the side of the road. I think it was on like a curve on a on the edge of a hill or something. It was weird, and then um, it's all on the video. I was watching it on the video. Cause you you've never seen the video, so I don't know, you don't know what I'm talking about. So we got off um, and basically crossed over this bridge. That was the bridge, and it was into um, some little town or something, some little village, and and we were away. So over the bridge and away up the hill uh, onto this little plateau first. I remember, and. Um, it was sad at that point because uh, there was a lady who who did then begin to suffer from altitude sickness. I mean, really badly, and she uh, she had to be taken back. She couldn't do she couldn't do the hike, and it was just awful because you know we'd all put a lot of effort into I know collecting money for the charity, uh, you know all our training, all the months of work beforehand, and and to actually get there and not to be able to do the hike. I mean, that must have been you know so soul destroying for her. Felt sorry for her. She was like taken away taking away on a donkey she was um, you know back down the hill and I guess because the buses had gone the bu I don't know how she got back because the buses had gone at that point they must have had to um, I don't know phone a taxi I, I don't really know but um, yeah I felt awful for her because she, she then had to wait like five or six days back in Cusco until the rest of us had um, done the trip and then come back again so yeah oops need another drink now damn thirsty work this if I was good I'd edit all that out, but I'm not, so I won't. <laughs> um, yeah, where were we? Oh yeah, off on the bridge. So there's different ways that I could tell you about the journey. I could take you through blow by blow, uh, through all the different campsites and the different things that we did. Um, but even I've forgotten that. I mean, I've got the map in front of me and it's got the, all these fantastic places. Keska, Anakoskacho, Kuiskacha. Kente, Machu Kente, Wene Kente, you know, great places, lovely, lovely names. I have no clue where they are. Um, just little squiggly lines on the map. Um, but I thought I'd, I'd sort of break it down into 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 the different aspects of it. Um, the camp, the camping. Okay, so let's talk about the camping in general. So uh, the way the way it worked is that we were told to bring a uh, two packs with us. Not two pack. <laughs> I was going to do some sort of impersonation of Tupac there, but I understand he's a musician. I know nothing about his music, so you can just imagine me. So here's me doing an impersonation of Tupac. Okay, it's finished. Okay, so we were told to bring two packs for this. One was a, a day pack, which is basically a very small rucksack, which is the one I, I still have now. Um, and I still do, I still go to the gym with it. <laughs> so so I took this very small rucksack and you were also told to take a, a big, you know, your main rucksack. Now, in the main rucksack was you kept everything, and in the day rucksack you just kept things that you needed for the day, uh, like like water, you know, spare t-shirts, uh, socks, that kind of thing. Any any medicines that you needed, 
um, you know, camera, batteries, whatever. And the uh, and your main rucksacks were kept by the uh, by the guides, by the people who were operating the um, getting us from camp to camp. Now, the way that it worked from camp to camp. Now, bearing in mind that the uh, the charity scope uh, their their route had been specially organised by this um, who was it uh, Worldwide Journeys. So Worldwide Journeys had, had, had marked up this route through the Andes Mountains with the help of these guides. So this wasn't a this wasn't a trek that you would meet anybody else on, and we didn't. And and you know when we say off the beaten track, it really was off the beaten track. So what used to happen was um, a camp would be made by the guides, uh, and they were, they were all yellow tents, bright yellow tents. That bit I remember, and I have some photographs of these bright yellow tents being set up at the different camps, and so. To set the camp up, and uh, so a typical evening would be camp would be set up, and uh, we'd all arrive there at the camp, and the first thing would be into the tent for coca tea, for your for for your daily fix of coca tea. Um, it, it it was just in the mountains. It was just like God's liqueur. I, I, I mean, you couldn't get enough of it. You know, they had to like ration it in the end because people just kept going back for more. I think I think we we could have about two or three cups of coca tea, but uh, you know, if you were lucky and you were friendly with some of the guides and you went back later on after all the meals had finished and there was still some left, then you could get another little fix of coca tea. But honestly, God, it, it didn't half make you sleep. <laughs> and. <clears throat> And the other thing was uh, with the camps as well uh, is that uh, w one of the tips for the top is look after your feet. So in your daily pack, when you're out camping, um, take things for your feet. Take uh, if you have problems with your with your feet anyway, uh, either dry skin or stuff like that. Take that stuff with you. Uh, take along uh, plasters for blisters and that kind of thing. Because you know when you're up there, you know there's no boots the chemist around anywhere. I mean this is it. You're out there by yourself. Um, and, and and be friendly with the guides. Some people actually brought their own little plastic dishes to put their feet in, <laughs> so that at the end of the day you would see people sitting uh, outside their tents with their feet and with their, with their feet uh, with their feet in, in dishes of water. So yeah, in your day pack, make sure that if you if you need stuff for your feet, even if you don't, bring some elastoplast, some blister things, some uh, you know antiseptic cream, that kind of thing, because. Um, Really, no matter how much training you do here in the UK or anywhere else, in whichever country you're listening to this podcast in, no matter how much training you do, it, it, it is just nothing like you will experience. Trust me, I'm a doctor. <laughs> no, it is just nothing. You won't experience anything like this. Uh, it's, it, uh, you know, it, it's not like, it's, it, it, we're not talking about climbing Everest here. Um, you know, uh, it, it, you're not having uh, oxygen packs or stuff like that and you're not laden down with tons of gear. But we're all just from Civvy Street, really, aren't we? You know, we're just ordinary people uh, doing a, an extraordinary thing. And I would also recommend doing it for charity as well, because um, it makes you feel nice and warm inside there. And it also gets somebody else to organise it all for you as well. So <laughs> there is that. There, there, are, there are bonuses to being charitable when it comes to doing things like this. Um, yes, so make sure that in your day pack you've got things like got things to protect your feet. So the camp would be set up, uh, coca tea, uh, people would, you know, um, washing facilities was a little bit strange. Um, I think most of the, I think, let, let me have a look. 
a couple of the times we are near uh, a stream or a, s a small stream. What was that? What's that one called? The Kushi whatever it is. Uh, at one point, um, there's a picture of uh, the stream was um, right close to the camp. So at one point, uh, we were actually decided to go skinny dipping, skinny dipping in this um, uh, Andes mountain stream. Now. Um, it was cold. I was, I was trying. I was trying to think of some description. Basically, it was fucking freezing. I mean, it was like fucking ice freezing. <laughs> but it was such a laugh. There's a picture of me sitting in this river um, uh, with a beer um, <laughs> in the river. <laughs> and but you could only. It, we only actually. There was about a few of us who had this picture taken. We did it in rotation, holding each other's cameras. Um, and you could only stay in the stream for you know a certain period of time, uh, like thirty seconds before extremities started to ice up and fall off. Uh, it was just so cold, but it was very refreshing. Um, and yeah, so personal hygiene is another thing. <laughs> Don't think you can take like tons of aerosols and perfume with you. You know, just take a bar of carbolic and jump into a stream. That's you know, and, and you know if you're going if you're going on an organised trip. There's a good chance that you'll, you know, you'll you'll be camping by some streams or something like that. And I think one of the campsites there was actually um, a wash um, facility thing where uh, you know, they had pumps and you know, they pump water off the streams and they had sinks and that kind of thing. So um, you know, sometimes you're in luck. Sometimes it's just uh, it's just by a stream. Food was good. Food was always good, actually. Um, you know, there was hot stuff uh, during the day as well. During the morning, uh, before you set off from camp, uh, they would always give us a packed lunch as well. So you'd have a packed lunch. Uh, there'd be a stop during the day. It was usually like um, three hours or something. You'd walk for three, four hours. Uh, uh, you know, stop, have something to eat, and then walk for another couple of hours, and then get to camp, and then uh, you know, cook, cook tea, do your feet, back to the tents for dinner. And then uh, sit around for a while, chatting, talking, doing whatever, um, doing whatever. Let me tell you, I've talked about uh, streams. I've talked about washing facilities. <sighs> Let's talk about going to the toilet, shall we? Because um, we all do it. We'll always continue to do it. And when you're up in the mountains, you'll be doing it there as well. <laughs> but where do you do it? <laughs> Did it ever occur to you? Uh, take toilet roll. Uh, honest to God, take toilet roll as well. Uh, you know, where do you do it? <laughs> so in one of the camps, it was very organised. Um, they had like a um, they had like a toilet, and it was basically a tent with a metal frame to the tent, and inside the centre of the tent was this um, contraption that looked like some medieval torture device, but basically it was a metal frame. That was suspended from the from the uh, frame of the tent, and in the middle of that the suspended metal frame there was a toilet seat. And so basically, what you had to do was you had to, you know, manoeuvre yourself onto the toilet seat. And <laughs> I mean, you know, do I have to draw a picture here? <laughs> and basically, it just you you were just um, shitting into a hole in the ground. Okay, <laughs> and it was affectionately called the drop. <laughs> And unfortunately, um, the drop was just revolting 
because um, as I just described you were just shitting into a hole in the ground and it was revolting and so uh, it was just so bad that I never used it on, on one of the campsites because uh, and, and also when we left the campsite what they used to do was uh, well I say, I say we unfortunately the guides uh, they would just like uh, chuck a load of they had bags of quicklime and they would just chuck a load of quicklime over it chuck a load of soil on top of it more quicklime and then once the once that all the tents had left and you looked back uh, from the hill looking down you'd realise that there'd been loads of these holes that had been dug and filled in in the past and you and we'd been walking over them <laughs> scary stuff so uh, there was one of these uh, one time um the, the smell was so repulsive i couldn't i couldn't do it so i thought oh, yeah i need a shit what am i going to do so i decided I'd, I'd nip over uh behind this hill and go by these rocks so um uh, so i did that so i went over by this hill and it was like a it was great it was like a little kind of like cave entrance thing and i just thought right okay trousers down did a good one um Covered it, covered it with rocks and everything and made it nice and pretty. You know, maybe some bears would find it later on. Who knows? Um, and there was a little stream about 20 feet to the left. So I thought, oh, maybe the stream will wash it away when it changes its course. You know, using my O-level geography, you know, remembering that mountain streams change their courses. And I went and washed my hands. And as I was washing my hands, I looked up and there was some people in a tent about 15 feet away from me on the other side of the stream. Nothing to do with our, um, you know, uh, our hiking or anything. It was just a, a, a couple who would, uh, was doing their own thing and they'd just camped over there. <laughs> and I'd just been straining away having a <laughs> Having a huge dump. <laughs> oh dear God! Uh, I hope they didn't wake up in the morning and go, "Oh, look at that pile of rocks over there." Maybe your bears buried some food. Maybe you should have a look. Oh God! <laughs> so yeah, so so yeah, you you go to the toilet when you're in the mountains. It's a natural thing, but um, don't think about it too much. Just think about it now. <laughs> okay, stop thinking about it. <laughs> That's enough. Um, yes. Okay. Water. Uh, one of the one of the main things. Uh, speaking of water, hang on, I must have it. This is orange juice, by the way. One of the main things that I must, I must, must emphasize, a hundred percent emphasize, is water. Drink lots of water. Not not this high energy drink bollocks. These caffeine drinks. Just water. Keep yourself hydrated. You need to keep hydrated. Can I can I say this uh, as often enough? On the little video. Um, and some of the videos that I've posted on Instagram and, and on Facebook, you see me and I've got this like plastic bottle dangling from one of my hands or from a belt or something like that. And as irritating and as, as annoying as that was, where, you know, you're not like totally hands free to wave around and do stuff. Um, water is just it's just absolutely essential. Um, use the mountain streams. They are pure. Uh, you can get um, tablets for putting in, uh, you know, to make water better. Uh, don't drink the water in Cusco. Don't drink the water in the towns. It's it's not good enough. Um, boil your water uh, all the time as well. Um, but drink water. Just 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 keep drinking water. If you if you don't do anything else, just take photographs and drink water, and enjoy uh, enjoy the enjoy the scenery. Because um, the good thing about the campsites is that um, you meet lots of different people uh, from different places. Um, I got on with. Uh, uh, Derek, yeah, I can't remember Derek's second name actually. Um, I go on with Derek quite a bit, and I, and I, I, I walked a lot of the, um, I walked a lot of the, uh, of, of of the hike with him, and a few other people as well. Uh, did a bit of it with Rob, 
and um, it's just good uh, and also just around the campsite as well because everybody had their own stories lots of people had done the hike for different reasons um, there was one girl there had done it because she was afraid of heights and she wanted to um, try and alleviate that and trust me um, there was various parts of <laughs> there was there was various parts of that um, that walk that uh, you could safely say uh, would alleviate you from uh, from your fear of uh, from your fear of heights but um, whilst um, whilst we're in the camp and we're talking away you would often get Ben the cameraman would come along and he would ask you uh, various things about the walk that day how it went how you were getting on and uh, by way of introduction this is the this is uh, extracted the next piece the next voices you will hear are extracted from the 2001 official scope video of the uh, hike to uh, Machu Picchu and the first voice you will hear is uh, Mr Rob Warrior uh, my uh, tent buddy and uh, Ben is asking him um, how was the evening it was a bit cold do you reckon you got full night's sleep or...? No, 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 because Paul kept farting all night long. Yeah, him in there. That house, that house there. Uh, don't believe a word of it, mate. He's just making it up. Yes, yeah, so as you can see, um... <laughs> Rob really liked bunking up with me in the, um... Bunking up with me, I said, uh, in a tent, in the, uh, in the Peruvian mountains. So, that, um... <laughs> That little blast from the past actually takes us takes us cruises in quite nicely to the end of part two of this exotic little journey. I think in part three, what we'll do, what I'll do is I'll just talk a little bit about um, particular events that happened uh, on the um, on the hike itself, and then we'll uh, then we'll get into um, we'll get into Machu Picchu. Shall we get into Machu Picchu after that? Because let's be honest, this is what it's all about, isn't it? You'll never know how long it was between part end of part two and part three, but it was. I, I didn't even have time to refill my orange juice. Okay, so here we go. We're on the downhill slope now, or the uphill slope, depending on how you're looking at this. So this is part three. Yeah. So basically, there was um, there was a few little uh, memorable bits that I that I remember from the um, from the journey. So much so that I had to write them down so I wouldn't forget them again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah. It generally overall, I mean, it was it was five days and four nights. Um, it was it, it it honestly it wasn't that tough. Um, it was I think I got I got really bad cramp in my shins, uh, not my shins, you know, in my calves. Um, right towards just before the last camp that we got to, um, that was pretty bad. Um, but then that was one of the toughest <laughs> climbs as well. So you know, uh, but 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 generally, um, the uh, the the organisation of the um, of the trek by scope and the, um, the the I keep forgetting who the bloody name of the company. What's the name of the company? Come on, Worldwide Journeys. Somebody help me out here. It was Worldwide Journeys. So um, they'd obviously done this several times before, and they'd worked out, you know, how long you should be walking per day. That you know the breaks for the camps and everything, and so for the general populace who were going to come on these type of adventures, um, it was going to be okay, and it was. Um, 
it was it was it was fantastic really and you made lots of friends along the way as well uh cameron um uh, cameron i hope you're listening to this god damn it um, still in touch with cameron um and uh yeah it was uh and I, th- I think we should have a reunion as well you mentioned the reunion cameron i think we should have a reunion um but because it was it was such a laugh i, I don't know how many of these whether or not they still do them or not i don't know I haven't Googled it, actually. I should have Googled it to see if they still do this. Um, but, of course, yeah, lots of charities do things like cycle rides to Vietnam and... Fuck knows why. But, anyway, cycle rides around Vietnam and, and that kind of thing and, you know, going up K2 and what have you. Not K2. <laughs> going up to K2 of a charity. What's the one in Africa, that one that you, know, you always see them doing on, on the um, the children's charity? Anyway, that one as well. So there's lots of things that you can do. You can lots of things that you can get involved. And I would say that if if you haven't done any of of these things before, do it now. Just do it now. Um, Get out there. uh, Go hiking away. Do something exotic. um, And then in 19 years later, you can do a podcast about it like me. (laughs) Wait a minute. Have I got my maths right? 18 years later, 2001, 2019. That's right, yeah. I should have done this in September, shouldn't I, really? Um... But um, because because we did it in September, didn't we? Uh, but yes, it was uh, it was very interesting. Now let's get back to the uh, to the coca leaves, shall we? Because I know that some of you were waiting to hear more coca leaf stories. So here's one for you. <laughs> so there was this um, horse shaped, V shaped valley, and it was like um, there was a massive lake, a really blue deep blue lake at the bottom of it, and it was a uh, scree slopes shale rock on the other side and on one side of it there was a uh, halfway up there was like a path and it was like a one person wide path and then uh it was it then sort of screeched up virtually vertical a slight slope to it so the guides went up first and then we followed the guides and single file and so there was a uh, me and a couple of the couple of the guys there and we thought um this is, you know, coca leaf time. <laughs> so, so you know, coca leaves in the mouth. Couple, you know, a couple of these little, whatever it was, to 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 stimulate the coca leaves, and off we went. And so, um, tune away there. And uh, it was honestly, it was it was it was just such a such a weird and surreal. Since I remember doing the walk up the side of the valley, and I remember looking down every now and again. Oh, there's a lake, isn't there's a valley? Oh, there's a sun, isn't it fantastic? And, um, but doing it in like complete silence, like not talking or saying anything. And then, and then, and then we got to the top and there was about four or five of us. And, and then we looked back down the single file track and everybody else was miles away. <laughs> we were like absolutely miles away. And we, we both, we sort of looked at each other and we, somebody said, do we do, do we just do that? And I was like, yeah, yeah I think we did. Yeah. <laughs> Coca leaves, you absolutely, you 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 can't knock them, honestly. <laughs> and you and you must you must try them when you want to, and you'll get introduced to it because it's uh, I think it's you know sadly part of the culture, <laughs> but uh, but but it, but it's a good sadness. That's all I can say. And I think um, at some of the campsites, there was one campsite where uh, there was an old school there. It was like you, there wasn't many um, times when you actually got. Uh, uh, flat ground you had to find the flat ground which is big enough for a campsite and and these places had uh you know the, the worldwide journeys i didn't have to look it up that's what they're called uh they found um this one which is it was an old abandoned school so there was like uh, two buildings there which for some reason everybody wanted to look in i don't know why I'd, i don't know what they expected to see all right i looked in it as well <laughs> it was just a room <laughs> so it was an old abandoned school but the most important thing was um after we cleared the um <clears throat> After we cleared the tents, um, 
it was big enough for a football game. <laughs> now, what happened in previous in the previous eight years? You know, bearing in mind that um, they must have done two or three. Uh, I think they only did them in September time because the weather was good. So it was about two or three treks a year. So that's like 24 games. Um, so over the previous eight years, the Peruvian guides always beat people from the UK in football. Now, you know, given that <clears throat> it's their country, they're used to the altitude, they're wearing the correct gear, you know, we just turn up, uh, you know, completely uh, unacclimatized to everything with big clunky boots on. It's really not surprised that uh, we've been beaten in the past eight years. So uh, on the video, as I was reminded, we did this like a lineup of people and we were all like introduced to the camera, those people in the team. Now I remember acting the whack and I was going, yeah, all right, yeah, Paul Frank and Geezer, yeah. And, um, and the game started and uh, we eventually won, um, was it 3-1 or something? 3-2. Um, I actually scored Peru's first goal for them. It was an own goal by me. I was in defence. And um, and then I wasn't, and then I scored an own goal. So, uh, yeah, that wasn't on the video, actually, but it was mentioned by somebody afterwards, yeah. Well, we did all right, apart from the own goal. Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, fucking, you know, just as well you didn't mention my name, but I'm, I'm telling you all now, you know, in case it actually creeps out in the press later on, uh, I did score the own goal against Peru in that match, but we did win. But that was really good. I mean, that was like a... That, and that was done in the morning before we actually set off on um, on, on camp again. There was other part, there was other times when, um, I don't know, just the view. Uh, I mean, you know, I can't sort of emphasise the absolute beauty of the mountains. It was just uh, amazing. It, it was literally breathtaking. If I could have had a video recorder with me all the time, I would have just recorded the whole journey, done stupid little monologues like this, and um, and just had moments of, like complete silence where you were just looking out and sometimes it was like you couldn't hear anything uh, well there was nothing to hear I mean you couldn't you know it was just it's beautiful absolutely beautiful the um, everything sunrises sunsets um temperature range as well there was a time when we were it was like subtropical uh, but sort of brush um uh, subtropical sort of brush small plants and things uh, as as we went up from uh, up in altitude from um uh, walking on uh, what was affectionately plains or, or just you know f flat rocky uh, and then we sort of w went up a bit and it was like subtropical sort of sort of bushes and things like that and it was really really hot and sweaty like being in the subtropical forest and then then you got up higher into that and that's when you know higher altitude and it started to get colder um so again it really depends on um what kind of uh, trek you're going to go on as to, you know, what altitude you're going to go at and, and you know, what clothes, what pack you need to take and that kind of thing. So uh, listen to your tour guides, you know, listen to uh, all the people who are organising it because they've done this before. And don't think, oh, I'll just do this, I'll just do that because you, you could end up sort of like really ruining it for yourself if by taking the wrong kit and, and, you know, not listening to the experts. So that's my piece of advice for that one. Um and there was one time when we were walking, um, when we were walking through the hills, there was a lot of that walking through the hills and these children came down from nowhere. They were like, you know, I, th I think what happened was once, once the word got out that there was um, people in the mountains from far away, then everybody wanted to come and see you. And these children would just like, appear from nowhere. They literally, there was like, you could look up a mountain for miles. You couldn't see a, a house or anything. So they must have come from like, 
their own mountain somewhere. And then they're compiling down to come to see you. And there was one guy here, you um on on the on the trek, and uh, he did balloon tricks. And so he was blowing up balloons and making little balloon toys for him. And the kids that they were just like they were amazed. They were like da da da. Um, sadly, one of the things that we couldn't do was um, we couldn't give them uh, sweets. We couldn't give them uh, candy or soft drinks um, because of the sugar in it, because uh, it would affect, you know, because their their diet is basically as uh, as natural and as as you know you know you know the diet that we always uh, dream that we could have. You know, just just plain fruit, water, you know, um, uh, fresh, uh, well cooked meat, um, that kind of thing. Uh, or if you're a vegetarian, just vegetables. Uh, you know, but but their, their diet was so basic that um, giving them sugar a would probably really upset them, and b it would also there was there was a, a, a terrible issue with teeth, and it would rot the teeth. And there are there, you know there's no dentists, there's just nobody around for miles around. Um, so it was it was really hard like not to give them things you know with fruit we can give them fruit that was fine but um you couldn't actually share any of the sort of little luxuries that you brought with you for yourself uh, you couldn't actually say, share it with them and we were told that uh, you know before we um uh before we set off um but uh, it it was it was uh it was it, there was i think the last camp uh, let me have a look i'll have to go back to the map again uh what's this one Machu Kente was that the one it might have been um and this was where uh, at this point we were supposed to uh, camp here uh, on this uh, at this campsite and then the following day we were going to get a, a mountain train that was going to take us up to the uh, up to the sun gate you know so that he could um look down uh, through the sun gate at the sunrise to see Machu Picchu that was going to be um you know that what is sort of the highlight of um of the journey uh, unfortunately, what happened was uh, we got to we got there, and uh, there was um, well, I'll tell you about it in a minute actually, um, because uh, I've actually uh, I've actually got a recording of myself uh, from two thousand and one telling Ben exactly what happened, but um, and I think he interviewed me he interviewed me uh, on the morning of the uh, the third day so we got there one night we were there a whole day and uh, he, he interviewed me on oh, the second day he interviewed me in the morning of the second day so I'll, I'll i'll play that in a second um and then after that we'll have a quick talk about machu picchu but basically what happened um at this campsite was that uh there was two things that happened actually it was it was quite a it was quite a sort of a um a monumental time so yeah, we've been up in the you know we've been up in the mountains. So we set off on the fifth of September. So basically, um, when um, when the uh, the terrorist attack, a terrorist attack in nine eleven, in uh, in the USA um, took place, uh, we were up in the Andes Mountains, and when we were at this particular campsite, uh, somebody had heard on a shortwave radio that something terrible had happened uh, you know something monumentally terrible had happened um but we that's all that's all that we heard um you know because there was very little communication up there and there's no proper radio signals and so we didn't actually know for about two days or a day and a half before we got back down to uh to lima you know into sort of cusco and then into lima before we actually found out uh, what had really happened you know because it, it was very sketchy that the when we got back to cusco the um 
because we didn't understand the TV channels and the radio channels, it was it was a bit sort of few and far between. We knew it was very uh, something awful had happened. It was very sketchy. Um, but I'll I'll I'll, t- I'll talk about that in a minute in, in later. So so the other thing that happened at this uh, particular campsite was um, because we were um, stranded because of a Peruvian train strike, and uh, we we were there for a day, a whole day. Uh, so on the evening when we were supposed to be having a nice rest and then getting the train the next morning, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, and I've got this picture of these ladies that turned up from the hills with lots of beer. And I mean, like, lots of beer. Now, the problem with the, the lots of beer was that, um, well, there was no problem drinking it, not at all. Uh, it was also, But it was, sadly, a lot of it was out of date as well by um, several months. You know, several months it was out of date. Um, however, it was beer, and um, although we were at high altitude, uh, that didn't seem to hold us all back. <laughs> so this, um, it was on the edge of this uh, farm, and he had like this big barn, and so we were in this barn, and we had the evening meal, and then the beer came out, and it was one of the the best nights ever. And um, everybody who could sing, sang. Uh, I think I did a duet. Uh, with Hugo, a Barry Manilow song. I can't remember the name of it now. Can't smell without you. I think it was. <laughs> and uh, one of the one of the guide leaders uh, was doing uh, um, singing sea shanties. It was just brilliant. And there was a there was a there was a girl. I say a girl, a lady. Um, I can't remember her name now. And she was a trained uh, opera singer. And she did. Um, uh, she, she just got up and she did a stuff and it was it was like we had our own kind of like you know variety performance thing going on there and masses and masses. i took a few pictures and unfortunately um the batteries on my camera ran out <laughs> so I, I so i managed to get a few pictures off um but that was it but it was such a great night uh, i mean it was it was it really was fun and we all we all needed it as well because it had actually been you know like, like myself who sort of like uh, got problems with the calves from walking a lot of people were suffering at that point and and we needed um we needed relaxation so lots and lots of beer now unfortunately lots and lots of you know out of date beer at altitude um played slightly havoc with my um my constitution shall we say as dave used to say problems with my constitution <laughs> And um, I wasn't very well. <laughs> I was a sick little duckling. <laughs> all night, in fact, all night. And and the thing was, it was really, really cold as well. So you get into your sleeping bag and, you, and you'd be wearing everything in your sleeping bag and you'd be all nice and warm. And all of a sudden, you'd just feel ill. And so... Um, I, I, you know, I was getting, I was waking Rob up again, which is really bad of me. So I'd, I'd wake up, I'd stagger out the tent. It was then freezing. I had to stagger over to the corner of the field. This wall, this rock wall, I remember. There's probably like a marker there now. Paul yucked up here ten times during the night, and I was so bad. I was so ill. I was so like dehydrated. You, you talk about maybe de- dehydrated. So I was so dehydrated, and. Um, you know, this it's about seven or eight times during the night. And so I was, I was exhausted as well. So the next morning, um, everybody is like, uh, oh, we've got a day here in camp. You know, there's no train. Uh, let's go out hiking off to some unknown lost civilization somewhere. Fuck that. You know, I, was, <laughs> I think I slept till midday. Then I got up. Then I drank loads of water. Um, then I had to go and scavenge for food because they'd, they'd cooked breakfast and then packed it all away. Um and so the next morning then the train came along and uh well <laughs> first of all i'll just play you this little um 
this little excerpt when um, Ben interviewed me um, the next morning. It's going great, mate. We've been um, stranded here in the middle of Peru because there's been a transportation strike and um, the train did go by, but it was just a little engineering train. And we've been jolly camping around and walking around the hills and things and coming back. Personally for myself, I've actually been sleeping because I had too much to drink last night. But other than that, it's been great. And I'm looking forward to going up to Machu Picchu tomorrow. So yeah, so after that brief little interview, um, then it was uh, it was time to get on the choo-choo train. And uh, it was a tiny little train, we all got on. Um, we couldn't go up to the uh, to the sun gate to watch the sunrise through um, through the sun gate under Machu Picchu, uh, which was a bit unfortunate. Uh, there were some people that were extremely pissed off about that, but you know that's life. These things happen. Uh, you know, I think we should be glad that we actually got there. <laughs> you know, um, it's sure. You know, we we couldn't we couldn't go and see it. So, but you know, what the hell? Um, so. I can't remember. There was a, there was a little town. I don't know the name of the town uh, or the village that's actually at the foot of the um, where you go into the Machu Picchu, um, uh, you know, uh, monument area. Um, it might be called Machu Picchu. Uh, in fact, they're all called Machu something or other, aren't they? Uh, let's have a look. Um, oh no, or something Picchus, or it might have been Aguas Caliente. Ach, do you know? I don't really know. Anyway, so I remember getting on the bus and uh, we go, we go up into the um, into into the main Machu Picchu site. Um, now you've probably seen sort of pictures of this, um, you know, on, on the internet, travel programs, and it, it is it's exactly as you see it. it it's just an absolutely magnificent place. The thing that struck me the most about it was uh, was the rocks. Uh, and the build and the buildings and and the way that the rocks were actually made and put together, um, you know, uh, uh, I, I don't know the full history of the place. It was obviously built several hundred years ago, or thousands of years ago, and but the it, it it's just the the the, the geometry of things and um, the absolute perfection of the way that everything aligns up. Uh, it, it's just brilliant, and and the the way that things are. Um, uh, the, the buildings, the way the way that they're laid out, and the whole compound and everything—it's—it's it's just staggering. Um, the thing that I liked, uh, the thing that I wanted to go and see the most, and I think you know, it's one of the obviously the main attractions, is—and I'm having to look at um, uh, the internet while I pronounce this—it is the Intihuantana stone. Is that how you pronounce it? I N T H U A T A N A. And these are. Uh, ritual stones in South America associated with the astronomic clock or calendar of the Inca. Its name is derived from the local Quechua language. The most notable uh, of these stones is an in the archaeological site located at Machu Picchu in the Sacred Valley near Machu Picchu, Peru. And it is. And it's there. And uh, it's funny, it's not... Um, it, it's not it's not it's not in a temple and it's not actually anything staggering or fantastic and it, when we were there it was actually roped off uh, so you could walk around it um, you weren't really allowed to kind of touch it too much um, but there was one thing that you could do and there were uh, crystals like quartz crystals that were on the stone um, and you could purchase these quartz crystals um, and so the only person who had touched these was whoever poor slave boy in a mine somewhere who dug it out and then the um and then the lad there and then um actually no the the last person to touch this uh was me actually 
because the, these were placed on the edge of the stone and you could pick one and you had to pick it up yourself and then he'd give you a bag and he put it in the bag and you paid him for it. I don't know how much I paid him for it, but um, and nobody else is supposed to touch it, so nobody has. And I've got it here with me now. And uh, here it is. You can't, you can't probably hear that. You definitely can't see it, um, but it's a crystal that was sitting on this on the sacred stone in uh, in Peru, and it's got magical powers. And I'm not going to tell you what they are, <laughs> but uh, it's wonderful. It's an amazing little quartz crystal, and it's come all the way from the sacred site in Machu Picchu. And so if there's anything that you bring back from there, uh, if they're still doing this, is, is bring back one of these because you you have a piece of uh, history, you have a piece of magic in your hand. And even if it's, you, you know, even if you don't believe in, you know, Hogwarts and all that stuff and Lord of the Rings and all that kind of thing, this is, this is tangible. This is, I have this. This has sat on the sacred stone in... Machu Picchu and I have it here in my hand and you need to go there and you need to get one of these and I'm not going to tell you what the magical powers are you'll have to find that out for yourself so that was for me that was the highlight that was that was just everything <laughs> um, including the picture of me pointing at a llama's bottom that was quite interesting I've got that picture somewhere um, I might put that one on the internet uh, but I remember the, remember the, all the drinks that we were having the night before. Well, they were still having some effect on me badly, and um, everybody who was anybody decided that <clears throat> right next to the to the main monument, um, there's a, a really sort of spiky looking mountain thing uh, trek up this mountain path. I can't remember what the name of the place is. Um, probably something Pichu, um, and. It starts off as a uh, as a bit of a walk because I saw it on the video. I, I never did it myself because I, I literally had, had still a hangover and I was just like, "Well, I thought I looked at it, and I, you know, my head turned up to look at it, and I thought, no fucking way, I'm not doing that." And so I, I saw people that started off walking up it, and then eventually you're actually more or less on your hands and knees scrabbling up the final vertical steps to like this um, plateau at the top. I must admit the view was good from up there. Um, and Ben got up there with a the camera as well. Fucking hell. I mean, you know, what a guy. I wonder what he's doing now. Ben, if you're listening to this, what are you doing now? <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, so it was fantastic. And then um, and then one young man proposed marriage to one young lady and she accepted. <laughs> it was all very romantic. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the first time it's happened and it probably won't be the last. But, um, but yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, and then, uh, and then, what did we do? I can't remember much more about it. We walked around the ruins. Uh, I got my magic crystal with me. Um, I was happy. And then there was an option of flying back by helicopter, <laughs> which I didn't have enough money actually. Uh, that's another thing um, about going there. Uh, take excessive amounts of local currency with you. Um, you can't. There's no travellers check places up there. There probably are, but uh, you'll probably get ripped off, and you'll have to carry a passport and all that sort of nonsense. Um, so take lots of currency with you, because um, there there are excessive things to do, like helicopter rides or special train rides or uh, you know different excursions that you can pay for. You know, whilst you're you know because your your organised trip, whether it be a charity one or whether it be uh, through um, a travel company will be one thing 
But when you get there locally and you've got like X amount of free time, like the, the, these days when you're acclimatising in Cusco or you're coming back to Lima, you know, for the same reasons and you've got time, you know, do research before you go. Or, or do research when you get there on site, find out, you know, what else there is to do, because you you may want to go off and do... A, I think we had uh, two days before um, we were flying back from Lima, so some people went off into... Um, is it Bolivia? Where, where's where's Venezuela? Lake, Lake Titicaca? Where's that? I can Google it right now, but I can't be bothered. But that, that was quite close by, across the border into another country, and so some people went off to do that. Uh, I just didn't have the cash with me, so um, I mean, I, I was just uh, I was just there for the charity and 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 there to wear and there to get my magical crystal across, which I did do. Um, so yeah, so that was Machu Picchu, and that was it in a nutshell. It was uh, absolutely fantastic. It was a uh, it was definitely the holiday, um, definitely the holiday um, of a lifetime. And uh, if you haven't been there yet, go there. And if you've been there and you've listened to all of this and you've said to yourself, I remember that, I remember that, then then there you go. You remembered it as well. So little hints and tips. I just wanted to sort of pass on some little hints and tips, actually, because um, I learned a lot uh, whilst I was there and uh, and realised some stuff that I should have done uh, in hindsight afterwards. Um, these are Some of these are quite straightforward, but... Um, Usually on these holidays, you, you, you're not you're not normally saying to yourself, "Do you know next week I think I'll go to Peru and climb up a mountain?" Uh, you're usually planning it months in advance. So for months in advance, uh, this is this is an interesting one: vitamin D tablets. Now, vitamin D tablets uh, here in the UK, um, we don't get a lot of sunshine, and I've been taking vitamin D tablets since about uh, October last year. It's now um, where are we now? Uh, May is it May? Yeah, so it's so so I started taking them in about October two thousand and eighteen. It's now May two thousand and nineteen, and the main benefit that I've had from them is that um, I don't feel as tired as I've have been feeling before. It's not that they're giving me a surge of energy or anything. It's just we don't get a lot of sunlight, and the and the other thing about. Um, here in the UK and particularly also when you go on holiday is that we put a lot of creams and things on our faces and our hands and our heads and arms and legs particularly sun cream and which has a UV factor block and so uh, you get reduced vitamin D so even when you're out in the sun we're protecting ourselves and you're not getting as much vitamin D so I would start taking vitamin D tablets which brings me um, nicely on to um, sunblock uh, take it with you, <laughs> okay. Um, again, in in our, in our westernised uh, countries that we live in, or if you live in a not westernised country and you're listening to this, apologies for that. But we have uh, shitty atmospheres, lots of cloud cover, uh, you know, massive amounts of ozone. Um, but out there, up in the Andes Mountains, you don't. And it's the sun is straight from God to you, and it's hot, and you will get burnt. So take sun cream, slap it on. It really doesn't matter how sticky and horrible, and if you get covered in, you know, dirt and grime or whatever, and you and you you know get to camp on an evening and you you spend ages washing yourself off of stuff, that really doesn't matter. But getting sunburnt matters. Um, as I said, there is no boots the chemist up there. You 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 can't get chamomile lotion or anything like that to um to help you with your sunburn. So take lots of sunburn and take a proper hat for God's sake. Don't take a baseball cap and turn it around so you just look like a dick. 
T take a hat that's going to protect you from the sun. You know, be sensible. <laughs> Again, this is, you know, this is a one-off trip. You don't want it ruined by, um, you know, getting sunburnt or worse still, getting sunstroke because um, we did have a couple of people suffer from that. So back to drinking water. Drink water. <laughs> Drink lots of it. Keep drinking water until you're pissing it out all over the place. But basically keep yourself hydrated. It's, it, you know, this, the biggest thing I can say is keep yourself hydrated because if you don't keep yourself hydrated, you'll get affected by the altitude. You'll start to dehydrate. You'll start to get headaches. You start to get weak. You start to get sick. And, uh, and it's just all shite. And then your holiday is ruined all because you didn't drink water. On the preparation for these trips, I'm sure you're, uh, you have um, sensible um, holiday firms or charity organisations that you're going with, uh, but listen to them. Um, go to the meetings. If it's a charity one, go to the meetings. Uh, you'll, you'll, be meet, you'll be met by other people who've been on these trips before. Uh, listen to their experiences. Uh, note what they've said. Um, listen to the doctors. Um, about uh, you know taking all your medicines, uh, take the additional stuff. You know, take headache tablets, take sun cream, uh, um, <laughs> other stuff. I do take a toilet roll with you because, like, you know, you might be doing a, a you know a three day hike or a five day hike or something. Just take a toilet roll with you in your day pack because um, as I, I think I said it in my um, <clears throat> when I was hitchhiking um, down through France and across Europe and what have you, uh, a toilet roll absolutely amazing not just for going to the toilet, but for cleaning things and blowing your nose on, stuff like that. You'd be amazed how many times, once you're up in the mountains and all your lungs are clear. Remember, there's no pollution up there. There's nothing going on. It's, it's just clear air up there. And uh, once you get your lungs full of clear air and everything starts to, uh, dare I say, it, unblock itself. Um, yeah, take tissue paper, take toilet paper. Look after your feet. I've got it written down here. Look after your feet. Do look after your feet. Take those stuff in your day pack with you uh, for blisters and that kind of thing. Um, because your feet are going to get hammered. Um, do training beforehand. I Do as much as you can. I, I really didn't do enough, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, going down to the South Downs and walking, poking the ground with a stick around the Devil's Dyke, you know, it, it's, not, it's not really doing it properly. Do it properly and do it regularly as well. Uh, do, uh, you know, gym work. Do extra... Treat it as like a... You know, the, the more fit you are, the more you'll enjoy your holiday. Um, it, it, it is basically it. Um, if you're not a person that um, uh, does fitness, you know, that goes to a gym and stuff like that, uh, just start doing extra walks or any walks at all. In fact, because you, you've got to get up. Because on the on this on this, no matter whether it's a charity thing or it's a or it's a um, an organised holiday thing, um, you will be expected to walk a certain numbers of hour, hours a day. Um, and actually, if if you if you don't know what that is yet, you know, say for say for example, you know, your your travel company uh, hasn't given you a, a a proper kind of like um, itinerary for the for the holiday. Find out from them what what is the expectation. You know, how many hours a day am I supposed to walk? Um, and then start training and start doing that kind of thing. Do it on weekends. Do it on evenings. Do it, you know, uh, and just start walking. And also um, start walking with your boots on and get a proper pair of boots. Don't fanny around and go there with a pair of sketches on or something like that. You know what I mean? Uh, we're talking the Andes Mountains here. We're not talking like a walk in the park. So get proper walking boots. Go to a hiking shop. You're going to have to spend some cash. So go to a hiking shop, get proper walking boots. 
you know, we're not talking, you can't just wear your Adidas trains, you know. Um, it, again, it, going back to your feet, you'll be fucked if you don't wear the proper gear. Um, I can't stress enough, look after your feet and drink lots of water. Um, <laughs> but the more training that you do, um, the more um, uh, the more that you'll enjoy it when you get there. Um, walking stick, I mean, I've got to walk, I've never used it again. Um, but uh, honestly, those those walking sticks with the springy uh, springy points to them, so essential for getting up and down these slopes. Now, some people recommend two walking sticks. Some people recommend one. I just used one because I wanted to keep one hand free, um, you know, in case I got attacked. No, no, I just kept one. I, I didn't think, I, I thought two sticks would be too much. At some points, I'd actually wish I had two sticks. Um, but but one stick was kind of like enough. It would be the one that you know with your with your leading hand you'd stick down in the ground and then you're kind of like pulling yourself forward or just or just uh, just supporting yourself um, and practice with that as well. And because it it is an unusual thing to do, um, you see people doing it and you 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 know you saw you might, you might have seen it on um, some of the little videos that are posted on Instagram and everything. But it's not normal. Okay, so you need to practice practice with your boots on practice and eventually get, get get up to a point where you're practicing with your full kit on so load up your day bag put your boots on get your stick and go out walking even if for the first time that you do it it's just around your local park again you might look like an idiot but trust me looking like an idiot in your local park will be nothing compared to feeling like a complete cripple when you're up in the mountains and you just haven't prepared properly God, this sounds awful, doesn't it? It's like it's like the worst training video ever. <laughs> you know, like you must do this, but you must do it. I mean, really, you must do it. You've got to prepare yourself, otherwise you'll be fucked. You know. Um, what else can I say? What else can I say? I think I've probably said as much as that. Um, talk to people who've been on these things before. Uh, go back through this podcast again if you want to uh, listen to various things. Listen to some of the things that I've said uh, again things that I've said over and over again and get it drilled into your head that uh, it's not a holiday, it's a military exercise. No, <laughs> you really do. Preparation is everything. But if it, so, if, you know, as they say, failure to prepare is to prepare for failure. Ah, oh, fuck, who said that? I don't really know who said that. It's so annoying, but it's, but it's absolutely right. But honestly, it, you, it, it's so enjoyable. Um it 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 is, and when you and the thing is, when you're doing it with a group of people who are all of the same mindset as you, they're, they're all going there. They all want to uh, experience the hiking thing, the adventure, um, and the, you know the holiday organized. You know, the people who organize these things uh, know that a lot of you haven't done, uh, you know, hiking or stuff uh, at all. This might be the first big adventure that you've been on. Um, and so they they do cater for everybody in a, in as many ways as they can, but they they also expect you to have uh, prepared for it as well. So be prepared. That's all I can say. <sighs> do you know I've really enjoyed this actually. <laughs> it's been quite fun. Uh, it, it's been great actually going back over the photographs and then going back over the uh, you know because I'm I'm kind of like a. A history hoarder, a personal history hoarder, and I have like documents and things from all my various holidays over the year, and I didn't realise I kept as much as I'd kept uh, from the Peru holiday, actually, from the Peru gig, and uh, yeah, it was just good. To, it's good to go back through. Or oh, watching the video as well. That was fun actually watching the video the other week. Um, oh yeah, batteries. Uh, take a very decent camera with you if you haven't got a decent camera or a decent digital camera with you now uh, take one uh, you could just take your phone 
um, if you've got a really good phone, because obviously phones nowadays are, uh, well, 2001? I don't think I had a mobile phone. Did I? I might have done, but it was probably a piece of shit. It was it definitely wasn't a smartphone. And and my little digital camera that I had with me was uh, was the best that I could afford at the time. And I didn't make any videos because it didn't do it couldn't do videos. <laughs> um, so yeah, invest in proper uh, technology if you really want to keep it all recorded and, and you know for for future, uh, so that you'll have a much better much better recollection and a much better. Um, ways to put it on the social media and share it with your friends I'd, but I'd, I'll, I'll, this is another hint and tip i'm going to give you this is sounds this sounds like really weird but um you'll actually piss a lot of people off when you come back and wanting to show them your holiday snaps i don't know what it is uh, i don't know what it is but every kind of like big adventure after i come back and i've gone oh yeah look do you want to look at this do you see this do you see this and like and like those various reactions. Some people were like really interested. Some people were like, "Oh yeah, that's good." Yeah, no, we went to Blackpool, <laughs> or um, or some people are like, uh, and and I think it's because they've never done it and they've never had an opportunity to do it, or their their lifestyle or whatever, or they're jealous. Jealous people never people will never say that they're jealous of you that you've done this, but they will be. <laughs> oh yeah, they will be. <laughs> but love it, soak it in. <laughs> Because you've done it and they haven't, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, that's that's another thing to prepare for. Um, it's a fantastic. I mean, it, it it was a mega thing for me to do, and it's a fantastic thing for you to do. But when you get back and you start like trying to tell people about it, you you obviously know before you go. Um, from like either you know, if you're doing it for charity, um, then you'll know from sponsorship, and you know from people who are interested in it, so you'll know that you know they'll be wanting to know about it when you get back. If you're doing it just as a holiday, then um, again you'll you'll know from people that you've talked to who's interested in it and who isn't. Um, but it, it it is it is an interesting phenomenon that when you come back and you want to try to talk to people about it, um, some people just don't give a shit, and it's a bit hurtful actually sometimes. And you think oh, it's my adventure. Why 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 don't you want to listen to it? <laughs> why don't you want to see my hundreds of photographs and my videos and uh, and all my um, and all my What's, what's that place where you put pictures up? Tumblr. Wait, don't you want to see my Tumblr? Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't really matter because because in the end it, it it's all about you and it's and it's and it's what you do and and how you feel about it. Um, but do keep and keep a diary as well. Do everything. In fact, um, because memory is a terrible thing, and over the years memories memory will fade. Um, but write th write shit down. Take photographs. Uh, interview people. Do interviews with people. Um, while you're there, get people to interview you on your your own equipment. Um, do video, blog, diary things. Uh, all these technologies are, are available now. Um, they weren't really available back in two thousand and one. It wasn't really stuff that the average person could uh, take with you and and use and 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 understand. Um, you know, uh, if if I'm wrong about that about two thousand and one and technologies, then it's probably because I was an idiot and didn't know anything better. But I'm pretty sure that um, you know, the, definitely smartphones, uh, definitely the ability to record, uh, you know, ad hoc at a decent quality, um, with small devices, um, batteries, uh, batteries. The problem with um, altitude and batteries is that they run out. Um, so uh, you could take a lot of batteries with you. But uh, I think the, pro the best thing to do is to wait till you get to Cusco, buy a lot of batteries. Uh, you probably find that um, they'll run out on, on your actual um, hike. Um, and then um, 
when you get to Machu Picchu, whatever that little town is, it might be just called Machu Picchu, buy some more batteries there. Because the last thing in the world is for your uh, equipment to run out of power whilst you're in Machu Picchu, because then you will feel like a right knob. <laughs> okay, that's it. I think I'm done. Um, that's all the hints and tips that I can give. Um, I think I've gone through everything. I've gone through the holiday. I'm looking back over my notes now. I have no more extracts from the uh, from the journey. Um, let me see. Coca leaves. Yeah, I've got co coca leaves written down everywhere. Oh yeah, nine eleven. Okay, so I'll, I'll just mention this before I go. Uh, nine eleven. So we heard about that. It it had happened, but we didn't know the details of it. So we got back to Lima, and we had about a um, a five hour wait um before our to get our plane and we uh, uh we, we were taken to this uh, shopping center uh, on the on the coast uh, in lima which had armed police and everything we were told uh, to stay there because that was the safest place to wait and i thought five hours in the shopping center you know i'm not having that so i wandered off up a side street found a hotel and i checked in the kind of hotel that will let you check in by, for an hourly rate <laughs> It was it was a nice hotel, nice hotel. So I checked into this hotel, and uh, I had the first the first decent bath in like six or seven six or seven days, and uh, it was great. And um, and then turned the TV on, and they were doing the, the coverage of of what happened, you know, with the, with the, with the with the towers and the planes and everything. And it's the first time, you know, and this was must have been a couple of days, three or four day, three days or so afterwards. It's the first time I'd seen it all in detail, and obviously it was it was it was shocking, it was horrifying, it was it it was, it was weird as well because the whole world had seen all of this and and, and we hadn't, and um, and so when I got back down, uh, you know, uh, left the hotel and got back down to the shopping centre, some of them had seen it on TVs and things like that, and we were talking about it. And we, uh, when we eventually got the buses from the shopping centre to the airport, um, what they'd done in the airport was they'd pulled out all the uh, the the desks, you know, the conveyor belts and things where you would normally have your um, hand luggage scanned. Uh, well, they'd pulled all those out into the car park. So they shut off um, about a quarter of the car park and they were scanning everything. So all your suitcases were being scanned, all your hand luggage were being scanned, you were being searched, you were being scanned. Uh, all the flights were delayed um, by about five hours, I think it was again, um, because cause everything, cause every, everybody and everything was being searched. And then once you were in the airport, you couldn't leave the building again. Um, so it was quite a high alert because I think I think that's what happened around the world. There was a high alert at airports, so there was a, a, there was a delay leaving it, and uh, yeah, it was just it was just a bit weird. It was just very very sad and weird. Um, but no, so that, so that was the, that was the end of the trip, and then we got back uh, to Heathrow. Um, I really can't remember the trip back actually. Uh, we obviously flew back to Madrid, and then Madrid to Heathrow. Um, don't know. I obviously got in the car and came home, and got changed. Oh yeah, and then then I discovered something in my day pack. Actually, when I got home and I was unpacking, in the bottom of my day pack was a bag of coca leaves. <laughs> I shit you not. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'd, I'd come all the way through all that searching at at, uh, at Lima Airport, which doesn't which doesn't board well for their security, got on the plane, came to London, uh, you know, got through whatever security or scanning was there, 
got home as a bag of coca leaves. <laughs> so I had a cup of tea. Yay! Thank you very much. That was my trip to Machu Picchu. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I have enjoyed it too. I shall talk to you all later on. Bye-bye now. And that's the end of the show from WRF, wonderful Radio Flanagan, in all the posh podcast places and at wrf-podcast.blogspot.com. I hope you enjoyed the show. I know I did. And I'll catch you next time on WRF. <laughs> <laughs>